This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself self-guided public land elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome to Elk Shape Podcast. Hope everybody is having a fantastic Friday. If you're listening to this as it drops, we are driving to Oregon right now as we speak. Headed to Oak Shape Camp 4.0 in Redmond, Oregon. Very excited about that and just wanted to say what's up. So today we're sitting down with Jeremy Lopez. Dude's a firefighter, first responder, lives in Wisconsin, works in northern Minnesota. And uh, this is a cool episode because we're kind of trying to dig in on his perspective coming out west, living in the Midwest, and kind of just some of the obstacles that are in front of you planning your first second and in his case third trip to come after elk so on this podcast we want to bring in regular blue collar humble not insta famous do-it-yourself elk hunters and learn from them and so jeremy's pretty cool dude man he's he's come out to the elk mountains twice and this is going to be his third year we kind of talk about his evolution we learn what he's learned and we try to uncover his weaknesses what he needs to work on tactics and strategy for this year 2020 i think this podcast is cool because it's a different angle it's more of a trying to explore best practices to get these guys his crew his squad in front of elk and hopefully you guys out there that have never elk hunted or are new to elk hunting or are still in the learning curve can really you know hone in on some inside information and so we kind of coach him up a little bit towards the end i think you'll dig it so we have elk shape camp in texas coming up 
Wisconsin, Colorado, and then we finish in Vancouver, Washington. Discount code is still Lakewood50. Yes, we still have spots open. We haven't completely sold them all out. Would love to see you. Subject matter experts Jason Phelps, Dirk Durham, Ryan Lampers, Joel Turner, Aaron Snyder, Phil Mendoza, the list goes on. So if you're looking for a life-changing weekend, look no further. We also have the online elk shape format, which is just basically every camp we do, we film it, we edit it, and we post those videos in a private video vault, and that's called Elk Shape Camp Online. And you can sign up for that on the website. 99 bucks will get you a year access, and it's going to take you a year to digest, especially because we are trickling in videos weekly after every camp. So... There's probably going to be a hundred plus videos when it's all said and done. Um, podcast wise, we got some cool guests coming up. We're going to bring on Brady Miller, talk about Montana draws. We're going to bring on Garth from Hunt and Fool, talk about Colorado and all those crazy changes. Uh, got some other cool guests can't talk about yet, just because it hasn't happened. So I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. And so hopefully you dig this podcast. And what we're going to do, guys, is we're going to give away a Hamsky rest. Uh, on the next podcast, we'll announce the winner. So how you can get in on this giveaway is super simple. At the recording of this date, we are, which is what, February 21st. So from February 21st to the next seven days, get on iTunes, give us a five-star review-ish if you think we're a five-star, but give us a review, write up a little whatever, tell us what you think about the podcast, the Blue Collar Podcast Elk Shape. And you're automatically entered to win a Hamsky rest, left or right hand, depending on your choice. And I'll ship that right to your house with some elk-shaped swag. So that's our little giveaway. This is an exclusive for podcast listeners only. So get in on that Hamsky giveaway. Uh, A couple more things. So 90 Days to Freedom. You've heard about it. Again, pump the brakes on spending any ridiculous amount of money on an online training program. If you are a garage gym goer like myself and you're looking for some structure, why don't you try 90 Days to Freedom? Uh, I carefully put this together so you could scale up or scale down minimal equipment. You can do it inside your garage gym, or your, your local health club, your wherever, and do it. Give it a shot. See if it doesn't just change your game. And that program is only $69.99, and I'm going to keep it at that price. I want more people doing that workout program. And if you are doing that workout program, program tag me on the social so i can see your progress be sure to check out the elk shape store we got some swag in there we got some really good prices we'd love to ship some of that stuff out and make sure you catch our youtube bow build i'm building a left-handed vxr for myself trying to flirt with switching to left hands i can tell you right now current update the switch is going to be slow i really feel good at right hand and uh shooting left-handed has been really a struggle for me because I'm left eye dominant, but my left eye does not take over when I shoot a bow. I'm going to have to wear an eye patch to make it happen. And I really don't want to look like a pirate. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, But I'm really enjoying the process of learning how to tinker with bows. And uh, we bring you guys along the journey. I'm no expert bow technician, but I'm definitely trying to get better and I am getting better and it's really fun. So check out our YouTube channel, subscribe if you're into what we do. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Let's get into the podcast with Jeremy. You guys have a great week. Don't forget that Hamski giveaway and enjoy the show. Separation is in the preparation. Oh, man. Thanks for taking the time to record. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So today, I mean, we've had you scheduled for a while and we finally got, we kind of got to this day finally. And as um, far as I know, you're just a regular blue collar dude. Yeah, man. Right? Work like a job and like to hunt and fish. 
dude works a normal job as a firefighter? Yep, I work full-time as a firefighter, uh, just uh, north of here, actually in Minnesota, Duluth, Minnesota, and I actually live in northern Wisconsin, so I, I commute about a half hour or so, and I have a side gig, I guess you could call it, in the military, I'm in the Air National Guard, and yeah, that's a little bit about my employment. Okay, so Jeremy, do you have like uh, any contracts, any sponsorships, any huge Instagram social network platform sponsorship deals no yes cool so this podcast is cool because we don't just go get recycled guests man we try to find just real real hunters passionate blue collar dudes you've said you know you currently serve on the side you're a firefighter first responder passionate bow hunter so let's get to know you and Hopefully today we can kind of like gravitate towards elk hunting questions that you might have and that we can brainstorm, talk about your journey in elk hunting. But before that, give us the background on Jeremy Lopez. Yeah, so I am Jeremy, obviously. I live in South Range, Wisconsin. It's uh, just 30 minutes south of Duluth, Minnesota um, in Wisconsin. Uh, We actually just moved here last July. Uh, We sold our house in Minnesota and moved out here. Uh, Just a little better bang for our buck and our current finance situation. It it helped us out a lot. So we love it out here. Uh, I got to explore a lot of public land out here. It got um, a lot of scouting done this fall with new land. I've never, ever been over here really. You know, I've hunted here once or twice in my life, but mostly hunted in northern Minnesota. So, yeah, that's a little bit about where I live. Um, what I do for employment, uh, like I said, I work for the Duluth Fire Department. I've been with those guys for three years. Uh, before that, I worked at uh, the Duluth Airport Fire Department. So my primary job there was airfield firefighting. I did that for about eight months and then got hired on the city of Duluth. So um, I'm in the Air National Guard out of the 148th Fighter Wing, which is in Duluth as well. I serve there uh, about once a month or so. We get together, drill weekend it's called. Um, All members report to the base and go over training, any uh, medical stuff that appointments we have to get done, but mostly a lot of training, planning for, you know, two-week burns out of the year, stuff like that. So it's a lot of fun. You see people you don't see every day. Uh, It's a good group of guys and girls. So, yeah, that's a little bit about myself. Um, I currently am an avid hunter and fisherman. Uh, I got into fishing first. Uh, I kind of grew up fishing. I got into it as a young kid. Uh, I had a lot of buddies' parents who actually took me a lot. My old man didn't do a whole lot of fishing. He was more hunting when he was younger. Um, But with age, you know, he slowed down a lot. So I actually just kind of tagged along with friends and just met people and learned, listened to what they had to say. And I also met other people that got me into bow hunting. I had a buddy, you know, that just sold me his bow. Hey, man, you want to try bow hunting? And I said, sure, why not? Yeah, I'll give you a good deal on a bow. All right, cool. Picked it up, had no idea what to do with this thing, and just kind of watched YouTube videos and learned. No kidding. So how long have you been bow hunting? I've been bow hunting for about six years now. I think I bought my first bow in 20, just right when I graduated high school, so 2013 or so. Uh, other than that, I was a rifle hunter, you know, a pretty fair weather rifle hunter. I'd go, you know, to the deer shack, a, a family, friends of ours, I'd, I'd tag along there and, you know, typical stay up all night, play games and then hop out of bed and 
fall asleep in the deer stand and waddle back to the shack and have a nice warm breakfast and you know didn't really put a whole lot of time into it I just like going up there and hanging out with friends and family so for me I I didn't really know what hunting really was what truly went into it until you know I kind of got my full-time job I had more money coming in I had more options to do I don't I don't have any kids so I have a lot of time on my hands to you know play around go scouting um, talk, talking to people, interacting with people, getting, you know, picking people's brains. Cause I, like I said, I had a friend who was in college. He's like, Hey, I'm moving to Florida. I I'm never going to shoot this bow again. I could use the cash. You know, it was a mission by Matthews. He goes 300 bucks and it's yours. It's a done deal, man. I've never pulled back a bow, but I'd like to get into it. So that's kind of how I started. And then, um, I had a friend whose father owned a little bit of land North of me and it was like 10, 15 acres. He said, yeah, man, if, if you ever want to come out here and hunt, we don't hunt it uh, very much. So he had to stand up and I just kind of hopped into it and, you know, fell in love from there. Right on. So how long have you been bow hunting? Uh, about six years. Okay. And this you, year will be my seventh year. You have elk hunted, right? I have. Yep. I've done two seasons of elk. Okay. Recently or? Um, the last two years I've been just north of Coeur d'Alene. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Got it. Okay. So what's that like being a dude in Northern Wisconsin, Minnesota, and just like almost biting off more than you can chew? Like, did you have a mentor? Like, take me through that. I don't have a great appreciation for it because I haven't, elk hunting's 10 minutes away from my house. So explain to me. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of, I didn't even know really what elk hunting was until, you know, I, I discovered some TV shows on TV that had these giant animals with antlers on it. And I go, wow, that looks really cool. And, you know, I didn't have any hookups out west. I didn't know anybody that elk hunted here. We're all primary whitetail hunters here. And at that point, I was a fair weather hunter, didn't really even know what, you know, like I said, what hunting goes into. But about three or four years ago, my mom moved out to Coeur d'Alene. Um, when my parents split and my aunt lived out there for 14 or so years, she's actually with Buck Knives. Um, she works there and my mom used to work at Buck when they were in California. Are you kidding me? What's your mom do for Buck? She ran, she, she is no longer there. She just got a new job, but she was in the store for the longest time. And then my aunt does, um, the paperwork upstairs. I don't know her, her actual, I, I think it's like the. She's in charge of the money stuff upstairs. Okay. But my mom was my mom was in the store for, gosh, I don't know, in, in Coeur d'Alene for probably three years or so, two years, because she's only been there I think four years. So she was she got on fairly quick there, and then spent her whole time she was there in the store. Dude, I love it. I love Buck Knives. Uh, they uh, they're out of Post Falls right there. So so you had a connection to the area. Did you? Did you decide to bring a buddy or are you like, I'm going solo, I'm going to just throw a dart at the map? Like, how did you figure out where to go? Yeah, so I took my first trip ever out there to visit my mom and family um, back in 2015 or 16. And we all went out to dinner up in uh, the Wolf Lodge, just north of Coeur d'Alene there. And we had uh, all her friends with and her their husbands and stuff. And I, it was just me out there. And I sat down with the guy and started BSing with him. And I go, Hey, I, 
I really like to try this elk hunting. Do you know, do you know where you could point me? You know, cause I had buddies that were interested, but we, we had no idea where to start. And he goes, Oh yeah, I've been doing it my whole life. Why don't you just come with me? Okay. You know, I've had people say, Oh yeah, you know, come with, and it always falls through. But I'm like, well, Hey, I have a pretty sweet schedule. Um, I'm able to take time off there. I'm fortunate enough to have that. So if you really want to do this, I'll be out here. You give me the dates and we'll plan it. Sweet. So my mom put me in touch with him, you know, uh, contact wise. And we kind of came up with a plan. I took vacation and uh, I had a buddy who was a hundred percent on board committed. And that was another thing. It was hard to find people that were able to get vacation to go out there. Cause you know, it's about a four or five day commute there and back. So you lose four or five days. Right. But yeah, first time me and my buddy went out during rifle season in October um, wish I would have gone bow right away, but I was, it was good. Cause I learned everything that I had no idea about elk hunting during rifle so that the following year when we did bow, um, we had at least our feet wet, you know? Okay. So you did rifle the first year and then the next year you went bow. Yes. Okay. So the homeboy that took you, was he involved in your second year? Yes. Uh, both years he was involved and um first year it was just him myself and my buddy just a three-person camp um you know a lot of teaching a lot of showing us around we did zero scouting we just kind of showed up and uh said hey man we're we're just happy to be here you know like this is awesome being an elk camp in the middle of the mountains and then after year one where we left and you know had a great time we weren't even mad you know we didn't even hear a bugle really and we were just so happy to be out there and have the opportunity to do it and then we realized like wow there's a lot more to elk hunting than we think we should probably do a lot more research so that led us to year two we both decided to do bow hunting you know we didn't have much action in the rifle season and you know historically uh bow hunters are more successful you know so so we thought and so we go out there during bow season, and we did a little more research, bought a little more equipment, um, learned how to bugle. The first year we had, we didn't even bring a bugle tube. No, none of us knew how to do it, and uh, mm-hmm. so we had we had a couple bugle tubes, and you know, absolute rookies doing it, and you know, unsuccessful, but had a great time. Ran into some pretty crappy weather throughout the week. And, you know, but made the best of it. We're just, you know, we're always happy to be out there. It's, it's awesome. We, you know, absolutely enjoy it. Okay. So your first year, you guys, did you guys ever hear a bugle? First year, we did not hear a bugle. We saw two bulls, um, a raghorn and a spike on the run, um, not prepared whatsoever and ran into a, a couple more packs of cows but we, we were towards the end where the bulls weren't on the herds anymore. And, you know, it was more driving around, glassing. And, you know, as you know, North Idaho isn't the easiest to glass. No. So uh, we, uh, yeah, I mean, we put on a lot of miles on the side-by-side. We walked quite a bit. Um, just tried to go to different areas to where we could hear bulls or at least spot a bull. But it was the ones we did encounter – we're like we were driving they happened to jump on the road and or we saw a herd of cows running and stopped and waited and no bull 
And so then, you know, us being rookies, we would just take off. And then as we take off, oh, there's a spike at the very end of the pack that didn't, you know, cross with the herd. So, yeah, a lot of lot of learning experiences. Um, but, yeah, that was the first year, you know, shooting from the hip. Absolutely zero knowledge. Didn't even know where we were going. We met our, our buddy Joe in Coeur d'Alene, and he drove us right up the mountain. Didn't have any taste of where we were going or, or even what the city was even called. <laughs> yeah. So, dude, first off, like, Idaho's – Sorry, Idaho guys, but Idaho's got a really good rifle season. It opens like October 10th. You should have heard bugles on October 10th. Were you there on for the opener? We were there. I think we got out there around October 15th or so. We weren't there on opener. I know that. Okay, so so there's a first like I would have I would have had you guys show up on the eighth or ninth, located elk and been ready to squeeze the trigger first light on October 10th. That's just uh, what you do. And that's a B tag. Uh, and then Idaho still has those available. So, you know, I got love for rifle guys. That's a, that's a good option. And then while we're talking about Idaho, I don't know when, but I know soon they're going to raise their prices. So I think that uh, hunting license is going to go up, you know, to like 180 bucks. The, the tag's going to go from like 416 to mid 600s your archery stamps gonna be more than just twenty dollars if you want to hunt archery and um those are still pretty competitive prices when you look at the market but prices are going up and then there's going to be a reduction in some tags for non-residents and you'll you won't hear me complain about about that at all as a non-resident but i want to key in on your second year because you guys probably learned what not to do which I want to go over and then I also want to talk about you know why you chose to drive versus fly sure yeah so second year we picked up another buddy um so we had three of us drive out uh same guy Ryan that came with me the first year uh both on board for bow hunting and then we also grabbed another buddy in the military with us and he joined us as well and we drove out and you know, we listened to a book or something, um, some old time bow hunter was going over, you know, not what we should have been listening to. We should have been listening to elk shape, you know, Corey Jacobson's elk 101, you know, stuff that's actually informational versus more of a audio book. Um, I think it was more just to pass time, Mm -hmm. but you know, we drive out and we get there, we meet our buddy Joe and he actually, he is a veteran and he brought his his um, sergeant commander, who was he was in the army with twenty plus years ago, out he uh, that same individual tagged out his first year in Idaho, um, the year before on a spike bull archery. So he was super jacked to be there again. Um, and then we had another veteran from Oregon, I believe, meet us out there. So we we had a pretty big uh, six to eight guys that were all in the military. So it was it was good to get guys out too, you know, with um, people seeing some stuff throughout their careers so um for us young bucks it was good to interact with kind of the older guys and so we kind of split up camp and you know went our separate ways every day and came back and shared intel but um for us it was you know upgrade equipment shoot the bow more um scout the area a little harder um one some of the things we wish we could have done better was definitely cover more ground 
cover more area. I know Idaho has that zone specific area you have to hunt. And we were hunting the zone four um, in the panhandle there. So we should have definitely covered more area. We were kind of stuck on a few drainages. And after the fact, you know, we, we chased a few bulls day in and day out down in the da- drainages trying to bugle them up. Um, they just would never come. We got stuck in that full moon phase where, you know, we would blow all night and we'd hear bugles all night. Um, instead, you know, knowing now what I know, uh, we should have definitely been out and about trying to locate that bugle, but instead, you know, we had, um, right to bed, you know, long days hit the sack and try and get up in the morning and go find that bugle. But by then, you know, we were too late. Uh, we ran into a lot of weather. We came, you know, we had, we had a good amount of gear with, but, um, we ended up getting pretty wet, not having the proper Gore-Tex, you know, 100% waterproof stuff. Boots were wet, socks were wet. Um, but I guess you improvise and you make, you know, you try and make the best of it. So, yeah, that was kind of year two. You know, none of us tagged out. Uh, we had a guy there for the whole season. Uh, we were only there, I think, about 12 days with four days of travel. So we didn't get her done, but we made the best of it for year two. I mean, we... From where we started at the year before to where we ended at was like, wow, we heard a lot more bugles. We we saw a couple more elk. Um, we got to know the area more. We actually got to go out on our by ourselves and not have to rely on our, our buddy and local native of Coeur d'Alene, Joe, uh, kind of show us around. So that was nice, you know, being able to come back to camp. You know, I, hey, I had a I had a bull bugle at me on top of this this ridge over here. You know, I didn't hear anything over here, so. That was that was super fun, but you know, like I said, came up unsex, unsuccessful, and you know that's the way she goes. So let's, I guess, let's talk about the most obvious stuff. See if we can get some good nuggets here. Maybe we got to dig in on like, okay, talk to us about how you guys actually found elk year two, knowing that you you've been in some of these drainages, you've chased some bugles year two down into the bottoms we're not sure what you're doing. Are you bugling your whole, like back and forth with a bull? And then are you just trying to bugle your way into them? Are you sleeping on top of ridges, sleeping in the bottom of drainages? Are you sleeping at the back of your truck? Uh, how far are you hiking? Like we got to dig in on, on what a day is like for you guys. Sure. Yeah. So I'll be the first one to tell everyone that we definitely didn't put enough miles on the boots you know, we, we're more of, you know, like, Hey, let's, let's try Let's sit here on this bedding area or feeding area and try and call them up, you know, or like basically what we had days of, you know, we'd start at the top or bottom vice versa and we'd chase up or down and we'd kind of work away on a drainage or up a ridge. And then once we, we found specifically this one bull was down in a drainage and we, we found a trail to get down there. Um, we weren't completely flat level to where he was but we were just right above him and figured um you know maybe we could pull him out of that drainage so we would bugle and he would bugle back and then we'd start cow calling and you know nothing nothing and it it was just silent dead and that was kind of like our cue like okay we we messed something up you know um my buddy and i it was just him and i were one day down this trail and we heard some barking you know, right above us, it had to have been 40, 50 yards from us. 
And so we looked at each other like, I don't think that's a good sign, you know. And we had no idea. And so we started to make our way up. Uh, we threw out a bugle. And this it, this cow kept barking and barking and barking. And so we're like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe there's a bull up there. So we threw out a bugle again, nothing, and it, it kind of just shut off. And him and I looked at each other like, this might be our, our closest chance. And this was kind of earlier in the trip. And so we, we slowly made our way up the next uh, the ridge. And once we got to where we thought the sound was, there was nothing. It was a ghost town. And that was, you know, the most action we had that morning. But mostly, you know, we, we definitely had a balance of, gunning and chasing fast, uh, throwing out bugles every, uh, probably 20, 30 minutes or so listen, kind of like a locator bugle listening. What, where do we find bulls? Where do we hear them? Do we hear anything? Um, and then we had our nights where we we're like, Hey, let's pop right on top of this Ridge. We know they're betting here. There's sign. Um, we had Intel from another guy that he was chasing a cow and a bull in this area. So we'd go up there and sit there, bugle, cow call and nothing. And, you know, before you knew it, it was dark and we'd be humping back to camp. So that was kind of our, a little bit of our, pic, you know, snapshot pictures of our elk tactics. You know, like I said, again, super, super big rookies. Um, we learned a lot by doing that. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what our, our tactics were at the time. I got mad respect for you guys just going for it. Let's get into 2020. Are you coming back to Idaho? We are not coming back to Idaho. Um, we are planning on hunting Montana and giving that a shot. Um, super open to Idaho, though, and zero disrespect towards Idaho. We're just changing it up. Yes. Um, but, you know, we definitely – Idaho's, you know, like you talked, the, with the tags going up, that's, that was news to me. But, you know, when I talk to new elk hunters and where I'm from, you know, that, that were like me, know nothing about it, I still, you know, am a huge rookie – but I always tell people, you know, Idaho has a lot of opportunity. You could get in that that lottery hunt where it's a complete lottery. Um, what is it? The limited hunt? Yeah, they have limited tag, like limited quota areas where um, they have, like for example, a set amount of tags, and then up to ten percent of those tags can go to non-residents. Doesn't mean ten percent will, but it can. And uh, there's no points, so it's kind of nice that there's no points in the game and it's everybody's got a fair crack or whatever. I personally have never drawn a limited quota Idaho elk tag, and I put in just about every year. So um, let me ask you this, because Montana's a general, it's about a 50-50 with zero points. Do you have any points from Montana? I do, yes. I have one preference point and one bonus point, um, and my buddy as well. The guys we're planning on going with, a group of three or five guys or so, as of now, have we all have one point, so we're you know using go hunt and all that scouting and running our draws and stuff. We we should be able to draw a tag here at the end of March or so or April. And then the backup plan is obviously Idaho. I would assume. We're- yeah, the backup plan is over the counter tags Idaho. Montana's a big state. Um, I have hunted it. I will tell you right now, it's. You know, the general means that you can go a lot of different directions. What direction are you guys honing in on without giving away, obviously, your exact location? Sure. Yeah. Um, As of now, you know, we're still deep in the book scouting areas. We have a general idea of kind of where we want to be 
in the southwestern part of the state, kind of on that Idaho border area. Um, we've also looked above Yellowstone area, um, but that's kind of where we're narrowed in at. Um, now reading on different forums and go hunt, you know, there's a lot of hunting pressure that I've read there as well. So, um, yeah, we have, I don't know, eight months or so to kind of figure it out. Um, it, it comes up before you know it. So we're still in that planning phase and it's, again, it's kind of like we're back to square one with Idaho. We're, we're shooting from the hip of an area we've never been to aside from driving in the, the general area through it, getting to Idaho. But um, I guess that's kind of the part we love about it is, you know, trying different areas that, you know, may present great opportunity or, you know, it might be not nothing with our luck. You know, we might have terrible luck there. And that's kind of why we do it, though. You know, like you never know what we're going to get. And um, until we have the actual the sport of elk hunting kind of dialed in, you know, that's kind of where we're in that learning curve. Yeah. So. This is fun because I'm like kind of taking you through my elk shape camp questions and just trying to understand. So the first thing is decide where to go. Okay. You got that. You, you got Montana and then you're starting to hone in exactly where you want to go. And then you decide who you want to go with because you can't go with anybody who's going to bring you down. Anybody who's negative when it sucks, who's a complainer, who's weak between the ears, right? And once you kind of establish that you have a good cohort, then you have to understand expectations for everybody's chipping in. One guy can't be planning every part and everybody's just kind of like taking direction. Like it's almost like someone's got to be a quarterback and then help delegate responsibilities on gear lists. You're bringing this. I'm bringing that. We're bringing a backup this. Who's driving? How much is it going to cost? Budgeting for gas. Do we need a packer? Uh where are we getting groceries? Are we going to do truck camping? Are we going to do bivy spike? Are we going to get a drop off? Uh, that kind of stuff. So who is your guys's quarterback? Yeah. So I would say right now in our group, it's kind of myself and Ryan, um, just cause we've done it before. We're, we're kind of the only guys that I know in my general, you know, association friend group that has gone out West and actually hunted elk. Um, we have a majority of the equipment and we're, we're at that point in the planning phase, you know, we have a list down with, you know, gear, who's driving, what, what's our food situation going to be? Are we doing a base camp? Are we doing a bivy camp? All that stuff. Um, we kind of have that dialed in and it's more of, so, Hey, let's get together on a weekend. Let's, you know, sit down and open up the computer and just scout. What do you think about this area? Right. What do you think about this area? Hop on Google Earth and all that junk. You know, I've been kind of listening. I've my my research this year has been above and beyond compared to years past. You know, finding it's amazing what social media can do for you. A, a lot of people these days bag it and uh, you know get off your phone, blah blah blah. Which you know to an, a point I agree with, but you know there's a lot of information out there. Like I had zero intellection on you know who what Corey Jacobson offered with that elk 101 camp what dan staten offered with his elk shape camp i had no idea until i hopped on instagram and kind of searched the instagram world like oh wow all these guys have so much information i just need to actually apply myself and learn this stuff because it's out there you know you just have to commit and dedicate yourself now that you guys are kind of honing in responsibilities and expectations as well as 
who's the leader and, and what everybody should be working towards, then you start probably breaking down when we when are we going to go. Montana's got a very general season. Opening day is going to be somewhere right in early September, and it's going to go six weeks. Are you guys going to take one 10-day trip? Are you guys going to do uh, a couple of bonsai trips? Do you want to start in the beginning when the bulls are kind of rounding up cows? Or do you want to deal with, you know, peak rut? But, you know, it's kind of hard to get a bull away from cows during peak rut, but you might get a satellite bull. And then you got that second rut early October. What what have you guys decided? Yeah, so the last bow season, like I stated, we kind of did a – mid to peak rut um trip we had drill weekend mid september so ryan and i weren't able to just boogie out um that's another kind of deal with us is in the military you have to take your your physical training test and that's kind of not uh you can slip by and miss so we kind of have to plan around that so this year we have a late drill in september so we're gonna actually go out um, hopefully we don't have exact dates yet, but we're planning on leaving that first week of September, um, for sure be there before opening day and hunt from opening day all the way up till about mid September, like the 15th or 16th. Right. And then travel the two days back. Um, we do have some guys though that want to come with that aren't able to get that much time off. And that's kind of where I'm planning now. Like, hey, take multiple vehicles out here. One one vehicle might have to go home early if you can't get the time off, which is totally fine. But, you know, I'm fortunate enough to where my job allows me to give get a pretty fair amount of time off for our vacation picks. And so is Ryan. So we're able to kind of stretch out our vacation. And we don't use as much as, you know, that we could throughout the year for specifically elk hunting. So we can get that, you know, a couple of weeks off. So that's kind of our plan right now is a early to mid season hunt. Okay guys. So we, we kind of have our area. We kind of have our time frame. What's your total amount of hunting days? Uh, it's going to be around 11 to 13 total in the field hunting days with four days of travel. And the total amount of guys as of now, six. Holy smokes. Are we going to do three teams of two, two teams of three Everybody go solo. What are you thinking? Right now, I'm leaning towards the two or three teams of two and seeing how that goes. And, you know, if we got to improvise, then we got to improvise and kind of, you know, we, we could go in the two teams of three. Um, the problem is there's a lot of unfamiliarity out there with not only myself, but everyone else. Um, one thing we do have a little bit is a little experience between Ryan and myself. Um, you know, we're still, like I said, you know, we're still learning, but at least, you know, we kind of have, we have our toes wet. We don't have our, our full feet wet, but, um, some other guys are bringing out there have never done it. And, you know, that's kind of what we want to share obviously is, you know, this is elk hunting. It's awesome. And that kind of stuff. So that's the plan as of now. Um, you know, obviously can change, but yeah, well, that's good. I think, are you guys going to split up the two veterans? Uh, yeah. Okay. More than likely. Ryan and I will be in different groups. Um, so, yeah. Okay. So, I'm assuming we got to come up with a hunt plan. We got to really dive in on, okay, we need plans A through J, A through K, what, I mean, however many. 
and each hunt plan in itself is a completely different area that probably requires you to move the vehicle. Um, and that's per party. I think everybody should probably come up with their own hunt plans, um, potentially a day to regroup where everybody can communicate and figure out who's getting into elk, who's not, where's the hunting pressures, their wolves moved in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so to do that, I really think you have to actually type it out. Um, I didn't used to be like that until I literally sat down and listened to Mark Livesey. Uh, he's on Instagram as Treeline Pursuits, by the way, uh, do a lecture on e-scouting. And he took it about 500 levels deeper than I've ever seen anybody. I was like, holy crap. And that changed me, man. That really made me start, you know, developing a lot of plans. And because before that, I would like... Google Earth a little, find a couple spots that look good, you know, maybe screenshot or add them into Onyx, but nothing where I actually typed it out. When you're sitting in your sleeping bag and it's real shitty hunting, you pull that thing out and you got all the details written out of where you picked out what trailhead or maybe not a trailhead, what river to cross, which way to hike in where you're going to glass from, where you're going to call from, where you're going to spike camp at. Like you've done all this research. It's all written out and you're going to be like, oh yeah, I remember doing that. And you have, you get back and you're kind of excited now for the next day versus just getting your teeth kicked in and not knowing where to go. Um, I think everybody's been there before. So have you, have you thought about how you're going to create your hunt plan? Um, I have a general idea. Uh, nothing to that extent. That's the first time I've ever heard you know, anybody actually typing out a plan, um, my, my general plan, um, as of now was to kind of find some areas on Google earth. Like, you know, you said you used to do until you listen to, to Mark's lecture, but, uh, we were, we were planning on just, you know, finding that area. We were going to hunt, pull up Google earth, look for some trailheads, access points to get into, and then kind of scout, you know, look for the obvious signs of elk and then, have a through z written down like you know if we don't have elk here we're not going to focus on this area even if we do have a bull and he's not coming out what are we going to do next kind of you know a through z plan um that's kind of where i'm at now um i have never like i said i've never heard of that and that's a great idea to kind of write down you know what what you did through scouting would definitely kind of flicker that light bulb in your head when you're out in the field and you're getting rained on and it's windy and cold and you don't know what to do. And like you said, you just got kicked in the teeth. So that's a great idea. Well, fatigue is something that'll make cowards of all of us. And it's going to happen to where you guys are like, man, this sucks. I you know, I, I'm not having fun anymore, et cetera, et cetera. So that plan can kind of bring new life. And that's really cool because there's going to be a point in every hunt you go on where it's, you know, kind of do or die or, or maybe even you want to quit. Unfortunately, it's true. Um, so that's going to be super important. Now, on these hunt plans, I think each one should be some sort of drainage system on its own. I want you to figure out on Google Earth the line distance, the hiking distance, how you're going to go in, how you're going to go out. Mark it all up on the water sources, mark up the bedding areas. And if you don't know how to do that, get on Google and YouTube and figure out, we teach this at camp, how to find these places, mark up your Google Earth, save those KLM files, transfer them to your Onyx, 
and it's there. It's ready to rock. And now you have that whole plan figured out. And then if you can actually type out, you know, which four service road you're going to take, where you're going to park, uh, how long it's going to take you to do this loop. And with a team of three, maybe you're doing all the work and figuring out, okay, we're going to drop two guys off here. We'll meet back there. I mean, all I'm talking about right now is this is what Jeremy can control leading up to the season. And I think, you know, if you have five or six different areas, you're you're never going to be like wasting or squandering seconds in the hunt, not knowing what to do next. And for me, I think a lot of rookie hunters spend way too much time in areas where there are no elk or they spend way too much time trying to find elk. So let's just think about this logistically, maybe even logically. Where do elk spend 80% of their daylight hours. Right. Like, uh, in their I bedding say, area, right? Yeah. Down, down below in their bedding. Could be a down below, could be above, could be wherever, but wherever they bed is generally where they spend 80% of your legal shooting light. If you don't know, uh, where they're bedding, I mean, it's going to be tough to get you know them to to pipe back and give away their location. You know that you never know how much hunting pressure that's been in there. Who have they smelled? What have they smelled? Who has chased them? Wolves, man, bear, depending on all that kind of stuff. So, I think you guys need to figure out right away. Um, I would almost go into it. You know, if it were me, I would I would roll into it with the mindset of okay, I'm going to give it day one to go see if we can find some daylight elk. Sure glass, look at sign, read droppings, check out rubs, find where the bulls took the velvet off mid-August, find where they're starting to rub for September, that kind of thing, sure. But if I'm not finding elk sign, I'm piecing out to the next trailhead and I'm not going to bed. I'm going to stay up and I'm going to drive roads would be my like ideal or ride my four-wheeler on four-wheeler trails or worst case, even hike ridge lines and pitch bugles all night until I find some elk that want to play ball. When you have six six guys, I think realistically, if if everybody's not scared, everybody goes their own direction at night after day one and pitches out bugles and sleeps in in the morning until you find elk. You know what I mean? Find where some elk are being holed up. Then you guys can kind of get back to a normal sleep cycle and start figuring out where, how close can we camp to these elk without bumping them? How big of an area? Um, what's the hunting pressure like? Are they going to get bumped? If they do get bumped, where are they most likely to go? Uh, you guys are going to arrive to Montana when hunting season's already been open for over a week or two. Elk are going to be where you find them. And that's, I hate that saying, but it's so true. So I just want you to be thinking about these kind of things like how can we have an approach to this to where we find actual elk and we don't spend 11 days looking for elk because that's just, that just sucks, right? Okay, and then now we got to talk about other things like where are grizzly bears in Montana and where are they not? Because I'm tired of reading about a couple guys from Wisconsin getting killed by a grizzly bear or getting chewed up by a grizzly bear or a couple guys from, this is actually a guy from Wisconsin last year I think he was camping in an old burn and deadfall fell on him in the middle of the night, killed him in his tent. So like just safety wise and stuff, have you guys, are you guys hunting in a grizz area? Yes. Um, that's a good point to bring up. Um, I did see that article. It's, you know, sad news in the hunting industry and my heart goes out to the, that hunter's family. Yes. But, uh, 
we have we have definitely looked into that. Um, that's kind of a big factor is the grizzly population. Um, one area we did look into definitely does have higher grizzly numbers. Um, actually, there was an attack last year in that same area. I don't know if they were locals or you know non-residents, but there was a encounter with a grizzly bear. Uh, fortunately, nobody you know died or anything, but. You know, it's never fun. Nobody ever wants to have that happen. I've never had the uh, experience of that, but nor do I want to experience that. But we have looked into that. We have kind of talked about it, you know, um, as far as like keeping, you know, the, the general safety cautions, you know, food and, you know, trash and all that stuff. So we have talked about it. We don't have a finalized game plan on like i said where what specific area unit we're hunting um but the area we have looked into does definitely have higher grizzly population okay so i mean and dude anybody anybody could be susceptible obviously right like none of us because my one of my good friends bob lagasa he's been elk hunting for like 30 years and dude he got crushed by a grizzly and uh he made it but I mean, it broke his arm. He had to go to surgery, all that kind of stuff. This happened two seasons ago out of Livingston, Montana. And so, yeah, man, Montana, like, concerns me. I'm a primarily a, a solo elk hunter, and I try to avoid grizzly areas uh, um, as much as I can, realistically. And it's just no fun, honestly. But uh, you have to take, you know, you got to be it's got to be on your guys' radar, quite honestly. You, especially with a group of six, somebody can be dumb, tired, leave food out, or toothpaste, or something, and attract bears and uh, all that kind of stuff. So safety first, having a plan. Uh, we're we're rocking and rolling. Time's flying by here, man. So, do you have any specific questions for me? Not that I'm the elk god, because I'm not. I'm just a blue collar dude who works hard, but. Do you have any questions as it pertains to actual elk behavior and strategy? And then we're going to finish with what should Wisconsin boys be doing to make sure their fitness is an ally, not an enemy while they're elk hunting. Sure. Yeah, I guess, uh, why, I guess I have a, you know, a few basic questions for you. Um, not necessarily tips, but, um, just throughout my brain, you know, what has come up, why do you solo elk hunt by yourself? Does that ever concern you? you know, going into a big area, you know, surrounded by mountains and wilderness with lots of predators around. Has it ever kind of been on your mind? Like, is, you know, is there something that's going to happen I've never seen or had happened to me before? Right, right. You know, trying to think when that actually, it kind of evolved, Jeremy. So I do remember like the first real, real big Idaho herd bull I killed. And it didn't start out solo. My dad and I, Got these bulls located in the bottom of a drainage. Sound familiar? North Idaho brush country. You can't use glass, but they're bugling back and forth, and the thermals are going up, and we worked we worked in tight. I got my dad out in front. I started calling. I called in a satellite and the herd bull. They both came in real tight to my dad. He couldn't get a shot on either one. Too much brush. Same story. I'm sure it sounds familiar. And then I remember somehow the rest of that day, like, um, I think we took a nap or something and then the herd bull kind of got started getting piping. My dad said, I'll call for you. 
and I kind of got and down, you know, set up and he started calling him and this bull started going back and forth. The next thing you know, this herd bull comes in. I don't get a shot. He goes back to check on his cows and I just left my dad. I didn't communicate. I just followed this bull. Well, I ended up following him for like two miles up this drainage and his cows just happened to get up and start feeding pretty, you know, early in the, in the evening. So I had a good hour of chasing him up the drainage. Dad didn't know where I was. I didn't communicate like an a-hole and ended up sneaking in on this herd bull, never calling and just getting a shot. I ducked his cows and got in tight and he was bugling on a knob. And when he stepped out, I shot him at 30 and then I had no backpack. I left my backpack with my dad. Um, and so I ended up taking my shirt off and tying it on the high, on, on a high spruce tree and leaving my bow there and trying to go find my dad. And I finally found my dad and he was pissed off at me. I'd left him for two hours and he was like, I kind of got him to cheer up when I was like, dude, I shot that herd bull. And he's like, are you kidding me? And we ended up going over and grabbing my backpack and finding, you know, gosh, the, the shirt I tied on the tree, picking up the blood trail, found this awesome seven by seven bull. And we were stoked, but it kind of clicked that day. Like, dude, Dan, like that was kind of cool. Like you didn't have to vocalize. You were able to shoot a mature bull. Um, you didn't have to worry about anyone else making sound or scent, or if they're tired or thirsty or hungry, I need to take a break. And so that kind of planted, that was a long time ago, but that kind of planted a seed in my mind where I was like, wait a second. And then, you know, I love my dad to death and he probably listens to every episode, dad, what's up? But he'll probably agree. Like I started like killing more and more bulls and I started noticing that I was by myself. And if I was hunting with my dad, we'd get close or whatever, but he'd finally get tired and head back to camp or whatever. And then I'd go out and kill a bull. Well, you start doing that enough times, you start kind of putting the clues together and you're like, wait a second, I'm having a lot more success hunting by myself. This is uh, so it eventually evolved into you go your way, I'll go my way. And then when I do hunt with somebody, it's almost always my dad and I'm almost always the caller. Uh, which I don't mind. I really enjoy. And I leave my bow at home because I'm a shitty caller when I have a bow in my hand. And I've learned that the hard way. Like, so uh, I'm just admitting that I'm so selfish that if I have a bow in my hand, I have a real hard time not wanting to pull back. So uh, yeah, man, it's just a a process of me kind of figuring out that uh, my best tactics is not as much calling as most people, certainly not as much as good old buddy Corey. But uh, I do a lot more just let the elk talk and sneak in, and I don't take a lot of breaks. I definitely don't take a lot of naps, and I definitely don't, you know, my biggest pet peeve, I joke about this, is when I'm trying to locate elk and I throw out a bugle, and whoever I'm hunting with is ruffling through their backpack looking for something. I mean, I want it dead silent when I let out a locator bugle for at least a minute. I want to hear a pin drop and see if I can really pick out where the uh, a bull replies and try to pinpoint their location. Um, because a lot of times that, that location giveaway is where, I mean, I'm going to like GPS their where they're at and I'm going to get as close as possible before I make another vocalization. I hate having to say a bull answers you 
but you're not sure exactly where it was coming from, I hate that. Because then you have to give away another sound or try to get them to talk again or move. And, you know, it's just never as good as that surprise. But uh, I hope that answers your question. Kind of a long answer, but it's really just the evolution. Yeah, man, it was good. Kind of all I got, you know, like I was always curious to why guys, you know, I understand um, it's kind of your ball game, why you, you do it. You know, you're, you're in control. You don't have any other worries about people and, you know, yada, yada, yada. So that's, that's an awesome answer. Um, other than that, you know, I, I really don't have, you know, I could sit here all day with you and ask you questions, but. Well, let me tell you, as far as the predator thing goes, um, I hunt black bears every spring. Uh, I've killed a ton of black bears, um, whatever a ton is. I don't know how many bears I've killed, but I've killed. I don't know how many. A lot of times I've killed two every year for several, several years in Idaho. So I've killed a lot of black bears with a bow. And I've actually never killed one with a rifle. But it started out over bait. And then I think I have about 50-50 on spot and stock and, and over bait. And, and what I've learned about bears, specifically black bears, is I'm really not that respectful of mature black bears, boars, males. But I am really respectful of females with cubs, regardless of how big or small the cubs are. And so um, I run into a sow with cubs every year, no matter what, especially in thick Idaho. Just It's just going to happen because that time of year, they're, they're usually eating on choke cherries. The huckleberries are dried up, and they're, they're grubbing, and they're in the thick timber just grubbing, making a living. And so that's where the elk are at. I always run into sows, and, and, and a lot of times they'll huff or swipe, hit the ground, snap their teeth and I, you know what? I just take a detour and I don't press it. Um, but, and I've never had too many issues as far as bears messing with my camps. I've had a couple camps ruined like spike camps where maybe I was gone for two or three days and come back and a bear found my stuff and stash. I've had that happen, but I've never had any issues while sleeping. Um, people have heard me talk about wolves. I've seen a lot of wolves up and close and personal. Hell, my five-year-old daughter's seen a alpha male 40 yards away. I mean, we've seen a lot of wolves, but they don't really bother me too much, to be honest. Um, I think they are fairly uh, fearful in Idaho specifically because they are hunted by man. But uh, the one thing I don't like messing with is grizzly bears. And there are a few where I hunt, but not a lot. And uh, it's always in the back of my mind. So I, I always carry um, a pistol. And I have two pistols. I got a Glock 23. It's like a 40 caliber. It's probably not going to do much to a grizzly bear. I, I recognize that. But it's so light. That's what I generally carry. And I a, a guy from Washington State sent me this um, retention system. His company's called uh, Northwest Retention Systems. And it just fits right on my chest, right underneath my bino harness. And it's there. And I used to not carry it all the time. But since I've had kids, I carry it for them. And then I also have bear spray on my hip. And I used to not do that. But I do that now just because I have kids. And I owe it to them. Um, I, I have a 44 mag. It's an ultralight. It's kind of my Alaska gun. I don't. It's, it's a little bit heavier and bigger. And I'm not as accurate with it. Um, so I don't carry that as much. But I'm always packing weapons while bow hunting where legal. So I guess we should ask you guys, what are you going to take? Uh, that was kind of our plan too. We have, um, I don't know what all my buddies have as far as pistols go, but we're talking a, a 40, um, kind of what you mentioned with your Glock. Um, last year we brought 
Um, the guy, Joe, I was with, he had, I forget the caliber he had, but it, he, he was packing the whole time. Um, there were times where, you know, none of us packed. The only thing we had was bear spray. And my first year, I actually didn't have any bear spray. My buddy had bear spray on him. Um, and then that was kind of my eye opener. You know, we actually pulled into our going back now, uh, we pulled into our camp and it, it was actually a bear bait site. And it was, it was a very poor site, but that was kind of my eye opener. Like, okay, you know, this is, you know, where I hunt, I, like, like you said, I encounter black bears or wolves, but they don't bug you. You know, the, the mamas, they might, you know, if they have cubs with, like you stated, they might get a little irritated, but typically they don't really mess with humans and and humans don't really mess with them kind of thing. But out, out West, you know, you're going for me and going to a different territory I don't really know what's out there. I don't know how animals are. Um, so we definitely do plan on bringing a couple handguns. Um, definitely my big thing with guys that have not gone out with me is, you know, if you can't, if you can't swing the gun and you, you know, you don't want to go out and buy a brand new gun, at least get bear spray. I know it's overlooked a lot. Uh, it's a big thing. I, me personally, I think I've, I've read a lot of stories and seen videos on guys using bear spray as kind of the last resort and you know, it's worked. So, yeah, dude, I think you guys are going to be good. Let's, let's finish with this, Jeremy. So you flatlanders living at, uh, a hundred feet in elevation. I don't know how high, but what are you guys going to do to make sure that you can not only acclimate to altitude, but that you guys can have fitness as an ally while elk hunting and be limitless. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like you stated here, we have very little elevation. You know, we have a couple areas with some decent topography, but you know, fitness is kind of my thing. Um, I didn't really get into it until after high school, which uh, I wish I would have gotten more into it in high school to, you know, be a better athlete all around. But, you know, right now I run a garage gym. I know it's kind of growing in the hunting industry too. Um, it's just more convenient for guys that have, you know, families, kids, you know, commitments every day. And, you know, you can go into your garage for 20, 30 minutes to an hour and you can save, you know, three hours of your day that you can spend with your family. So we invested in a garage gym. We kind of went all out and, you know, bought the stuff we wanted. Um, we're fortunate enough to do that, but, you know, I follow just kind of the basic CrossFit programming. Um, I love seeing stuff that you throw out, you know, challenges, I think kind of fires up people, um, to get out and, you know, to work towards something, it's kind of a motivator, but, you know, good on you for doing that. And, um, but the buddies I have with, you know, they've definitely, they, they go in the gym, they do their cardio, um, they put in the time, but I think, you know, come the springtime when it, you know, it gets actually above freezing here, people start running outside. Um, we've gone to a local ski hill here, uh, not too far away that, you know, you throw on a pack with, you know, 10, 20 pounds or whatever you got, throw a rock in there and climb the hill, you know, a few times a week or so. I like More that. So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of all we got is, um, going around, like we have that ski hill, like I said, and then there's, like I said, there's some areas with good topography where, you can throw in a pack, you know, get your elk pack for the day, throw in some food, some, some trail cams, whatever, you know, weigh it down and go, sh- we, people go shed hunting. Like 
in the springtime when it thaws out and you can actually go outside and you don't have to be fully packed out with warm gear. So that's, that's kind of nice that we do. Um, a, a lot of my buddies do shed hunting and, um, that's kind of a way that people stay in fitness, but, uh, I've never really let fitness go. There was a time that it wasn't really a huge priority in my life, but since my first deployment overseas, that was kind of like my kick in the butt where mm-hmm. I had six months of nothing to do other than my job and work out and worry about getting home. And that was kind of it, you know, like once, once you have that, that routine down and your, your commitment levels high, it doesn't really go away. you know, at least for me, it didn't, and it's just a priority. And that's kind of how I look at elk. Like, you know, elk hunting is one reason why I work out. Cause you know, like, like you say, it, it's tough to get back in the elk shape, no matter how good of a runner you are or whatever, when you put yourself in an elevation where you're at compared to where you're living in, like Northern Wisconsin, it's a game changer. So for me, I, I just, I really try and, you know, focus on getting in the gym every day, if not twice a day, depending on the schedule and breaking up pieces and stuff. But, um, yeah, that's kind of my routine. So, so dude, let's dig in for your buddies. I mean, they're probably all not going to be doing functional fitness in the garage. We could also call it CrossFit ish. I know that word kind of turns people off and, um, whatever. I don't care. Um, so the bottom line is though, like garage gym programming, what are you doing? Um, I can tell you right now, today I drove to the gym. I left the house at 6 a.m. I didn't get home till almost 8 a.m. And I got really pissed off after an awesome workout because I hit like the commute traffic headed to work. So it took me like 11 minutes to get to the gym and it took me like 29 minutes to get home and it just set me sideways because that's like 40 minutes of driving that I could have been doing something more productive and I have everything in my garage that I did at the gym. I only went there because I work out with some guys that push me and I love that component. So what are you doing for programming? Do you creep on somebody's website? Do you pay a thousand dollars for hunter programming? Like where are you getting this stuff? So I've been with, I've been following comp train actually for a little over a year now, maybe a year and a half or so. And yet, yes, I pay the $40 or whatever it is. They, they have a free version, but I found that if I pay, it keeps me more accountable because then I can write down um, on the app that comes with it, it allows me to write down what I, you know, lifted, what I made for times. You can see other people's times, so it kind of drives me to push harder and, you know, view other people's scores. Like, okay, that's a good score. You know, this time's a good time. Blah blah blah. So, investing in the app allows me to kind of get more out of fitness. Um, I was just, you know, I used to go to a CrossFit gym. And it was awesome. The community, you know, the whole aspect of that stuff, it was great. But for, for how far we live out now, it's, it's about an hour and a half of a drive there and back that we lose, like you were stating, you know, you lose that time where you could be more productive, spending time with your family, getting stuff done. So that's why we kind of invest in the garage gym. And, you know, not every day's hammer it out 100% weights, Metcons, all that stuff. It, it might just be going in there stretching, hopping on a bike for 30 minutes or so, and just getting a good sweat on, you know, maybe that's all the time I have for the day. So that's kind of a nice luxury we have. Uh, My girlfriend also does the same programming that I do. 
Um, I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to trying different things either. It's just kind of, that's the programming that has worked best for the equipment I have in my garage. I've been kind of able to do everything under that programming. Um, I've seen good results from it and it's affordable for me. So I love it. Yeah. Comp train by Ben Bergeron. That's the sugar watt app. It's really good. I used to follow comp train very closely back in when I was competing at exercising and I think it's awesome now we're definitely not doing that but I think it's a great resource uh let's end with this Jeremy by the way I really enjoyed talking to you um what what's the one piece of equipment in your garage gym that you think's the most valuable regardless of the price mm, that's a tough question if I had to pick if I would recommend anybody starting out with a piece of equipment I would say get yourself a barbell and some bumper plates or, you know, if you can't get the bumper plates, get the steel plates, but there's so much stuff you can do with a barbell. You know, you can jump over it and do burpees. You can back squat. You can, you know, do, you can curl, you know, it's, there's a so much variety of ranges, but, um, if you're looking at cardio equipment, I would rec you know, any functional fitness CrossFit cardio equipment is pretty good. You know, we started out with just a rower and an assault bike, and that was more than enough for us. We did a year with that or so. And then we actually just uh, a couple of weeks ago, we got a Concept 2 bike erg, and that's been awesome. It's been something where we could just go out in there and, and sweat, you know. Yep. It was hard for us to hop on an assault bike or a rower for 30 minutes and get something out of it versus now – we can just go in there, throw on the headphones, watch a YouTube video, podcast, whatever, and just bike. And it allows us to kind of keep our lungs going to where we can't run outside when it's minus 40 here in northern Wisconsin. So <laughs> that's kind of a nice luxury we get out of that biker. Definitely. Hey, well, Jeremy Lopez from north Wisconsin, firefighter, military, badass. Dude, good luck this year. I hope you get your bull with a bow in Montana. And we'll have to check back in after the season. Let's bring you back on this podcast to see how it went for another blue-collar schmuck. And hopefully you guys uh, experience some great success and learn a lot about elk hunting. And most importantly, you learn a lot about yourselves. Thanks for taking the time. Guys, this is the Elk Shape Podcast. Remember, separation is in the preparation. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening again. Just wanted to remind you, Wilderness Athlete has that really slick discount code, 30% off your first order. And the discount code, I'm going to post it in the show notes. That's exclusive for you listeners. So just check out the show notes, make an order, definitely pick up Hydrate and Recover Alert, uh, maybe the Brute Force, you know, pre-workout, post-workout, try some of that. Let me know what you think about. Appreciate their support. Have a great week. And um, just know that we really appreciate you digging in on this podcast. Tell your friends and have a great week. Stay humble. Stay hungry. Keep working towards your goals. Make sure you're moving the needle every day. Break a sweat every day in the name of Better Elk Hunting. Peace.